Oh, good morning, everybody. All right, it's time to get our class started this morning. I'm sure more will be filtering in, too, as well. Uh, it's a beautiful day outside. So, uh, we are studying in James, and so as we get settled in and, and get ready, um, be sure you have your Bible handy. Let's go to God in prayer just to get us in the right mindset and continue on. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this morning, Lord, allowing us to be awake, to breathe, to be here together as a family, that we can study your word and and uh, continue on into our service as well and, and worship to you. Lord, at this time, as we start our class, we ask that you'll be help us to open our hearts, our minds, to read your word and apply it to ourselves. Take it with us not only today, but through the week at work, at home, in our daily lives, because that's really what this is about. We would ask, Lord, that you would help us in that. So many times we we put aside things once we're not with the family, when we're not here. Uh, we would just ask you to help us to be uh, examples of your children each and every day. We thank you so much, Lord, for your son and the reason why we are here. We are able to be here to look forward to a future with you and, and continue on that road. We thank you, Lord, and we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we are in James, towards the back end of the New Testament. I hope you have your Bibles handy, because I just have not put effort into um, doing a PowerPoint. So you got to do it the old-fashioned way and read it, all right? So, James. We uh, did not complete our thought last week. We'll get back to that, but we're going to do a quick review. As I said, for uh, uh, James only having five chapters, he has packed so much in there. And it is a, a everyday living guidebook for us. So let's look at it at, from that uh, point of view. James is like a preacher. He just keeps putting the word out there. He's he's not embellishing it. He's not making it flowery and everything. He says, this is what you got to do. And so look at it as that too. So in review, we have uh, uh, gone through and decided that James, the brother of Jesus, is the author of the book. Um, so as we go through the chapters, we've learned that various trials of life will test your faith and produce endurance resulting in completeness. That completeness is is what? Maturity and getting to heaven. That completes the cycle, doesn't it? Uh, to pray with full confidence to God. Don't be wishy-washy. Don't say, well, I hope he can do this or anything, but full confidence. God can do anything. We've learned that fame and fortune are fleeting. Because you already have the highest position in God's kingdom, you yourself, each and every one of you, have the highest position in God's kingdom. And that is in the kingdom with him. That's what we're striving for. Uh, not just, you know, well, okay, maybe I'll get in the door, or, or maybe I'll just have a nice place or, or anything. We're looking to be with God. That is it. To persevere. That through those trials and tribulations that are come in, into our lives each and every day, no matter what they are, you have to persevere. Just like an athlete training, you pick up that endurance that we just talked about, you persevere and get through it. Because what happens if you do not persevere? 
you lose that highest position you have with God. You don't arrive in heaven. You don't be with God. Okay, so that's an everyday perseverance. You got to get through it. Also, never to blame God for your temptations or trials because those things are within us. They start here inside me, inside you. All right, we're not blaming God for it. He didn't say, okay, I'm going to put this roadblock right here and see if you can get over it. That's not what he does. Okay, everything good comes from God. Now, as Tony has mentioned in past uh, lessons, sometimes we just blame everything on, on Satan, on the devil. Well, that's not true either, because we ourselves in our human nature, you know, can can fail. We can put our own roadblocks up there, and we do that very easily, and, and I'm sure some of us do it daily. Then we went into, as we got into uh, chapter 2, control your anger and repent of any sin. Those two kind of come hand in hand, don't they? Because if we don't control our anger, so many times it leads to sin. And what do you have to do then? Well, just as any other time, you repent. You say, I'm sorry. Okay, just like when you hurt somebody, you, you hurt their feelings or, or you say something you shouldn't. What do you do? You say, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, my friend. You know, I, I, my bad. Okay, well, we do the same thing with God. When we transgress against God, we say, I'm sorry, and we mean it. It's sincere. We've learned that we should be a hearer of the word and active doer, and the emphasis there is on active, means get out and do something. You remember the old commercial, just do it. Well, get off your rear end and help. Do something. You can't be just a... a, bench warmer Christian. You got to actually do something. Then we talked about controlling your tongue, bridling that tongue, because it gets us in trouble so many times. Okay? Even reference back to anger. How many times the first thing when we get anger, what happens is that tongue just gets free reign and we get in trouble. He has uh, simplified our everyday behavior into three actions for us. Guard the tongue. That must be really important then if he comes back to guarding the tongue. It must be important. And then number two is care for the helpless. Okay, those around us. Now that will tie back into um, loving your neighbor. And then holy living. Which when we say holy living, we go, okay, what's that? Well, actually what that is is just... Keep from being polluted by the world. We're out there every day. We're separate from the world, but we're in the world. Okay, and what happens? Those influences are, are directed at us all the times. You could even think of them as flaming arrows that are being shot at you. And sometimes we can deflect those, and sometimes they hit us, and sometimes we get near misses and we get burned. But they're there all the time. You know, even our own transgressions, our own failings, everything, that stain of sin that gets on us, and then repent, wash it away, get rid of it. Okay, it's just that holy living every day. And then the last thought we had, but we did not finish, and we're going to see some more today, is do not show favoritism. Don't play favorites. No matter rich or poor, humble or powerful, no matter their status, no matter who they are, we don't play favorites. Would you like it if God played favorites with you? 
If you said, okay, I really like this side of, of the group, but you guys, eh, not so wild about, you know, so uh, I'm going to put more attention over here. And you in the middle, you're okay, but, you know, that's all right. You want God doing that to you? All right, I don't. I don't. I want to be judged the same way from his word as he's holding everybody to. All right, so, as I said, we did not finish James's thought last week, so we're going to continue. But be able to do that in context. We're going to, we're going to read from uh, verse 1, chapter 2 again, just so we can have it all complete, okay? So, James, chapter 2, starting in verse 1. My brothers and sisters, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and is dressed in bright clothes, and a poor man in dirty clothes also comes in, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the bright clothes and say, You, sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, You, stand over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, did God not choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the good name by which you have been called? If, however... You are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as violators. For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a violator of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So as we continue in verse 8, that's where we're going to pick up here. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. You know, it's impossible really to show favoritism and love your neighbor at the same time. Okay, because what you're doing is you're judging somebody. When you're showing favoritism to them, you're actually judging. All right, and if you're judging them, then you're not showing love to your neighbor. You know, okay, I got lots of love for over here, but... Over here, eh, eh, a little bit less love. You think that's going to fly before God? I don't think so. He refers back to um, Leviticus 19, verse 18 specifically. And he's calling it the royal law because of that. He says, "You shall." It, the verse says, You shall not take vengeance nor hold any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That is directly from God. That's in the Old Testament. You know, so many times we we catch that phrase, love your neighbor, as just being New Testament Jesus. No, it goes all the way back. Verse 9 there, But if you show partiality, 
You are committing sin and are convicted by the law as violators. Right there in that short verse, he's, he's putting favoritism and sin together. Okay? He's calling it out as sin. For whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles in one point, has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a violator of the law. Wow, James has just connected attitude and action of favoritism to what we might consider serious transgressions against God. He just connected favoritism to murder and other sins, okay? Do you see there that there's a, uh, an equality to all that? He's saying sin is sin. It doesn't matter what you do. Sin is sin. And if you stumble on one, you stumble on all of it. If you break one, you break all of it. Let me ask you this, uh, because I know this applies in all of our lives. That little white lie. Okay? That little white lie, maybe at work, at home, in your family, with your husband, your wife, your kids. That little white lie. Is that sin? Hmm. I kind of think so. And I know that troubles us. And I know, you know, uh, even in my, my own life, I can struggle with that. And I immediately got to stop and go, whoa, that was, that was wrong. That was wrong. Honesty is the best policy here. Not only in my daily life, but also before God. You always need to be open because God sees everything, doesn't he? We hide nothing from him. So even that little white lie, can that be connected to all those other, what we consider big sins? Should we even be putting a scale on any kind of sin? I think he's saying no. I think he's saying all of it's the same. Sin is sin. Depending on your, and it's on your actions and your attitude. There are no trivial sins. There are no trivial sins that we're just, okay, I, I, I stumbled just a time. It's okay. I'm fine. No, it's something that we're always checking ourselves about. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So in five verses there, James has went from the sin of partiality, favoritism, to adultery and murder, and now he's talking about judgment. He's saying, all these sins, your life every day, all these sins are leading to judgment, and you will be judged on them. Okay? In this checklist that God gave us, which is actually this whole book, I have thinner Bibles. It doesn't mean anything's been left out, but we're going to be judged on everything in there. Everything. Nothing's left off. You know, so many times we get a checklist maybe at work or, or something we're doing, a hobby, and, and we, we're looking for shortcuts. You've heard about life hacks, you know, how, how to make something easier for yourself. We want those shortcuts just because people, we're, we're busy. We want to get past things. Get through them. Come on, come on, come on. 
Okay? Okay, I don't really need to do that. I can check that off. No, I don't want that. Oh, there's more been added here. Well, there are no shortcuts in God's word. James has already pointed out that no sin is trivial. We're going to be judged on all of it. Now, that sounds really harsh, but it's not. Because God's given it all to us and says, these are the things that you will be judged on. Just do them. And don't do these things. Okay, so it's, it's fair, it's just, and we know what to do. All right, so we get into verse 14 now, into chapter 2. We're going to continue on. What use is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and be filled, yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? In the same way, faith also, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to acknowledge, you foolish person, that faith without works is useless? Was our father Abraham not justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way was Rahab the prostitute not justified by works also when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. In verse 14 there, he immediately is connecting works with an action. There he says, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works. Okay? Faith and works. They go together. Can that faith save them? If a brother or sister is without clothing in need of daily food, or one of them says to them, go, go, go. Go in peace. Be warmed and be filled. Yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? In the same way, faith also, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. They must go together. Faith and works. Okay, we've already talked in, in previous two lessons about you cannot be a bench warmer. You cannot sit on this pew, come to church on Sunday, check it off, and say, I'm good. Okay, oh, my faith is great. I know there's a God. Uh, and and I try and be a kind person and just, you know, get along with others. Is that enough? Is that enough in our everyday life? Just to be that kind of person? Honestly, and, and I've seen a lot of those. I've seen a lot of bench warmers. And that's, he's saying, you can't do that. You have to have some kind of action with that faith because they're connected. 
They're together. You have to have both of them to be right before God. And we had, we had even talked about, well, just do something, okay? We learned that earlier in the review. Just do something. That action that he's talking about, do something. Find something to do. It doesn't have to be public. It doesn't have to be, you know, huge and bold and, you know. You find what you can do for God because no matter how you serve in this action, it's not for me. It's not for others around there. It's not for you to be seen. It's all for God. And you want God to see that, okay, because he sees everything. So no matter what you decide, you have to find some way to serve God yourself. If that's feeding people, feeding the poor, helping with the pantry here, making sure people have some food, they come in and they're down on their luck, you know, they don't have much, they just need something, okay, we can help with that. You know, we do have a pantry, and we as a church collectively set it up and, and help with that, but what do you individually do in your everyday service to God? Okay, remember that thought, love your neighbor? Well, that applies in there too, because who's your neighbor? Everybody around you. Your co-workers, members of your family, those that you cross paths with at Fred Myers or Safeway, those are your neighbors. Every person in this world is your neighbor, and we should be helping and hurting for them and wanting to serve in some way. Even if, if, if nothing else, if the absolute best you can do is smile and tell them to have a good day. Do it. And I'll, I'll challenge you right now. For, the, for this week, just this week, I'll challenge you. Everywhere you go, every person you see, smile and nod or say, hello. Try that. Positivity. All right? They, they may not return it. Don't expect them to. Okay, it's not a requirement on their end. But you, as a child of God, as a Christian, should be every day in your example, in your life, trying to put that positivity out there. Why? Because we want to be examples. All right, let's continue on in verse 18. But someone may well say, you have faith. And I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Okay, now that word by my works is very important there. You cannot be a Christian of just faith or just works. Okay? You cannot just be a bench warmer or a, or a worker all day. Now, we say that a, a worker all day or, or a hard worker or we see somebody in the church that just works and works and works and serves and serves and we always see him doing something and maybe we even feel feel bad. Like, oh, wow, he's putting me to shame. Okay? But what's this person's faith? Do they have faith? Or are they trying to work themselves into heaven? Have you ever seen people like that? That they could never do enough? You know? 
Sometimes it, it comes from feeling like, I'm worthless. I've just got to keep working. We can even fall into that in our everyday lives for our family. Work, 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 work. I got to do more. I got to do more. It's that productivity culture that we get trapped in. How many hours do you put in at work? How many hours do you put in on your family? Do you neglect family sometimes for work? Why do you do that? I know the pressure's there. Peer pressure is huge, and that's even at work. But sometimes we sacrifice family for work. And in the same thing, we can sacrifice our faith for our service to God. Because that service to God, we know it's important, and it's an action. And some of us are really good at, at the action part, but not so good on the faith part. And James is saying, uh-uh. It all comes together. And what we really have to do is find a balance there. Now, so we're going to come back uh, at another time and and for balance. So now we're going into verse 19, and and James is going to make an overstatement. He's going to say something for its shock value. Okay? Remember that as you read this, for its shock value. Something that is fearful, and this is to get their attention and show them that more is expected of them. He's saying, wake up. Okay? Applies to us too. You believe that God is one. Okay? What he's referring there is that you believe that that there is only one God. One God. We believe that. Well, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. Right there, that's the shock value. As soon as you threw demons in there and said, well, well, you believe just like the, the demons do. Now, in that day and age, in that culture, you know, when you put demons in there, they're like, ooh, it gets their attention. And now he's saying, okay, now listen to the rest of this. But are you willing to acknowledge, you foolish person? All right. Foolish person. Can that be us too? Yeah. Do we always make the best decisions? No. Okay. Do we stumble around and, and, and sometimes be wishy-washy? Yes. Okay. So that applies to us too. That faith without works is useless. And then he goes into talking about Abraham. All right. Um, was our father Abraham not justified by works? When he offered up his son Isaac on the altar, okay, um, we're assuming you remember the story. God told Abraham to sacrifice his son as an as an offering. Okay, a lot of us would go, "Whoa, it's my son! I can't do that." But Abraham, his faith was so great that he said. Okay, I'm going to put action to this because I have faith in God. Now, this is this story is just is honestly mind-boggling to even think about that somebody would do this. But how great was his faith to have to do this? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. All right, Because of his faith, he took on the work, the action that God said, you need to do this. 
You put them together and follow through on it, and right there up to the end, God says, stop. I can see by your actions that your faith is complete. Okay, do you see that circle there? God wanted to see it all together. He had the faith, but he says, go do this action. And it's a terrible action. It's a hard action. But do it to put it together, because that's what I want to see. And, he's, and just at the last moment, he stops him and says, no, you are righteous. Abraham was righteous before God. And scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. In your life now, so we've just, we've put Abraham out there. This great big figure, you know, that we're trying to compare ourselves to. You know what? He wasn't perfect. He had failings even before in his life. But he got through those, and he put faith with action before God, and God took that. Can we not do the same thing? Can we not be as great as Abraham if we are putting our faith and our action together? Do you want to be called a friend of God? Oh, I so much do. I mean, I love being called a friend of Liz or a friend of Terry, or a friend of James, or a friend of Mike. You know, that's special to me. But even more special is to be called a friend of God, that I'm connected to him. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So he has presented evidence there. And, and this is important to the Jewish people. They want to see the evidence you know, we like to see taste, touch, smell. You know, we want to see it. In this case, they knew their history and believed it to be true. And he's saying, look back on that. There's your evidence right there. In the same way was Rahab the prostitute not justified by works. Okay, let me reread that. In the same way. Was Rahab the prostitute not justified by works also when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? He brings another example there that was well known to him. All right. Rahab the prostitute. Now, every time I, I read that phrase, Rahab the prostitute, I don't like that. Okay? They, they've named her by an action there, by a sin. Okay, but but couldn't that be all of us? You, you could just say Rahab, you know, whose life wasn't perfect, who because of the circumstances there, either trying to survive or, or whatever, was was a prostitute as as a um, vocation to to support her family, maybe. Okay, we immediately look at that, just that word prostitute, we go, ooh. All right, let's just look at it what it is. Yeah, it's a sin, but how many of us would like to be labeled by our sins? You know, if you really want to 
to think of that. Think of your own self. You know, Ken the denier, or Ken the liar, or or Ken the lazy, or fill in your own blank there. Your name and the troubles that you face every day. Would you like to be labeled by that? Well, that's exactly the same thing here. So really, while she may have had sin in her life, her actions were justifying her. Okay, by justifying, we, we mean saving her. In the same way was Rahab the prostitute not justified by works also when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. And this last verse here is, is very important. We're, gonna, we're actually going to end the lesson on this last verse. Um, I had to chop up the lessons to make it all fit for the 12 weeks I had to teach. And so, verse 26. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, your physical body, your yourself, your soul is dead without the spirit. Okay? If you take that that spirit, that soul out, if you have have hidden that, killed it, what happens? You're not going to heaven. You're not going to be with God. Okay? Because everything you do in your daily life as as sin punctures that spirit, that soul. It hides it. It dirties it up. And and God can't see that. He He can't look at that. So also faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. They can't be by themselves. You can't have one without the other. You can't be a bench warmer or just a worker. You have to have it all together. And that's in your everyday life. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you want to just sit and listen, you know, and hear things and and don't really want to get out of your comfort zone. You know, you're like, well, I don't want to meet new people. Yeah, I see there's somebody new here, and I, I just, I, I've got other things I've got to do. We have all kinds of excuses, don't we? Every day. But we've got to get out of our comfort zone. You know, this little area right here, I'm good here. I can stay in this forever. I'm okay. And he's saying, no, you've got to stretch yourself out more. You know, if, if uh, going to school... What are you doing? You're stretching yourself out. You're learning. You know, as a young person, you go and you learn and you learn and you test things out, um, whether in behavior or life or, or academics. You push a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. Okay? Let's circle back around to those trials and tribulations, the ones that build up perseverance for us, endurance. How do you get there? Just like an athlete. You train, you train, you push your zone a little bit more, a little bit more. Oh, I can do better tomorrow. You know, and you reach that goal. 
Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue pushing it again. I want to be faster. I want to knock off a, a couple of seconds from my time. For those that, that might run marathon, not me. Okay, they're trying to knock off minutes. You know, just a minute here, a minute there. Oh, my personal best time. What's your personal best day? Can you do better than that? That's what we're striving to, just a little bit more. Now, we may reach a point where where, we're okay. Because what you really have to do in all of your life is have that balance. Isn't life about balance anyway? You know, if you've got too much stress and it's, it's just leaning on you and not enough God, that faith or works, that, that faith and works have to have a balance. Because as I said before, you can have a lot of works in the church and sacrifice other things. You can sacrifice your family. You can sacrifice your personal self, your health, because you're so focused on the work. Balance is key to everything. You see people burn out at times. You know, ministry leaders, preachers, elders, because they're working, they're working, working. And at some point, something happens, and they kind of forgot about the faith side. And they put so much work into it that it's taken, it's taxed them so much that they're like, they stop and they think, why am I doing this? Why am I continuing on? Am I doing this for the right reason? The right attitude? Maybe it's time for a reset. Maybe I gotta take a couple steps backwards and rethink this. Okay? I think a lot of us go through that. Even maybe in your job, you can get to a point where you're just burned out because they demand so much. And what happens? Well, in the modern world, people sometimes will take a sabbatical. I need some time off. Okay, go. You know, and they go find themselves and, and reevaluate what they're doing and if they want to continue doing that. And many times they're like, okay, I've got to find a different direction here. Now, we stay within God, but that different direction is maybe another area of service. We continue looking for another way to serve God. That's, that's constant. We don't give up on that. But sometimes we do step back and go, okay, I think there's another area that I'm interested in and I would like to work in. Okay, that's the direction I'm going. And at the same time, always offering it to God that he's going to give you skills to do that work. He's going to help you along and help you grow because we're always trying to grow in what we're doing. And if you're not growing, you're dead. Okay, honestly. When a plant stops growing, it's dead. How many times do we look out on the spring that's coming? Yes, spring is coming. We look out and we look forward to the, the greenery and the flowers, you know, and, and everything's growing. And, and sometimes you wish your grass wasn't growing so much. You know, you have to work on that. But, but it's growing. But when it stops growing... It starts dying. How's that in your life? At what point are you at in your life? Have you stopped growing? 
Maybe it's time to take a step back and go, uh-oh, I got to change this. Because if you don't, if you don't change something and you are on the, on the path to dying, then you've just lost your purpose going to heaven. You're not going to make it. Let's, let's just be honestly blunt. If you have stopped growing, if you have taken the wrong path, if you have stumbled, if you have, have put the trivial, what we think of as trivial sins in our life, and you've not put those away, then you are dead. And if spiritually you are dead, how are you going to be judged before God? That's what we're striving for. And it is striving. A plant strives to grow. And when it's done growing, it dies. And we, we're going to see that later in the year after we've rejoiced with all the growing and the greenery and the flowers and everything else. Then in the fall, we're going to start things seeing dying. And the leaves turning brown and falling off. Are we going to be asleep or are we going to be dead spiritually? All right, so we've had a lot to think of there. Balance, balance, balance in our lives. You cannot be a pew warmer with no work, no service, and you cannot be a worker without faith. You cannot work your way into heaven. Faith and action go together. Find your balance. So this week, I've given you a challenge. You're going to put positivity out there in the world. You're going to smile at people, and you're going to say hello or nod, but you're going to just Take that little extra step and, and maybe it'll stretch your comfort zone. And maybe you'll add something later on. All right, that's the end of our class. We will be picking up in chapter 3 next week. So I encourage you to continue on in James and continue reading. Let's uh, go ahead and we can get ready for worship.